Hello culture fans around the world, this is episode 16 of the Italian Football Daily Podcast. Uh, you're in the show with host myself, Joe Siracco, and I'm joined here as uh, usual by my uh, co-host and senior editor of Italian Football Daily, Matt Santangelo. Uh, you can follow Matt at Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Joe Antonio C, and of course, our website handle at Italian FD for all your news in the world of calcio uh, and Italian uh, football around the world. Matt, how are you doing uh, on this evening? We've got uh, a great show coming up. I'm doing well. It's uh, great to be back on, Joe. I obviously do love enjoying doing that. I do enjoy doing these, especially after the European games. And of course, today it was a little bit a little bit of more of an action pack. These next these past couple days have been have been good to us in terms of um, the, you know seeing our team play and seeing some of the bigger matches around around Europe and Italy. Of course, we had Juve Real Madrid, which we'll talk about um, had nauseum during this podcast. Uh, you had Roma Barcelona today, and then of course you had the Milan derby. So there's plenty to talk about, but. Uh, yeah, it's uh, life's been life's been pretty well for me. That's good to hear. Yep, and uh, as you mentioned, we uh, have a jam-packed show. Uh, we'll be talking Champions League. Will be the forefront of our show. We'll be talking Juve Real Madrid, a big match, t- clash of titans, which shocked a lot of people around the world. And we'll get to that shortly. Roma Barcelona today playing at the Camp Now. Another big match, another big moment for Roma. Their first quarterfinal in ten years. And as you mentioned, uh, we'll follow that up with the Milan Derby, uh, the makeup game uh, that was today, earlier in the day. And we're looking forward to uh, the relegation battle a little bit and the upcoming fixtures in what is uh, right now at the tail end of our season. And we've got some questions for some of you uh, from some of our uh, readers that we'll be reading out and answering those questions uh, at the end of the show. But uh, Matt, of course, we have to begin with Juventus and Real Madrid. A 3-0 loss for Juve, humbled to say the least, uh, in that match at the uh, Juventus Stadium, Alliance Stadium. I'll let you go first and kind of give your take on it because uh, I, as a Juventus fan, have a lot to say on on Juventus that's been building up over the last these last few years and kind of what they have failed to do at an organizational level, notwithstanding what's gone on on the pitch. So I'll let you go ahead. What did you think of the game? Thoughts? And... Uh, Overall, uh, what uh, what were your thoughts on this match? Uh, a drubbing, to say the least. Uh, uh, the defending champs uh, just humbling Juventus, the the six time uh, Italian champions. Uh, you know, I, I I felt that you know the, the game started well. I think for Juve, I mean, again, of course, with the exception of the Ronaldo goal uh, very early on, fantastic finish from him. He's in fine form. Um, at the moment for both domestic and in European play, and he's doing it at the right time for Real Madrid. The game felt that, you know what, despite maybe Real Madrid looking like the better team through the first 45 minutes, Juventus weren't bad. Juventus had, you know, they had some good possession. They had some good, you know, some good positive buildup in the final third. And they looked like there there was a goal to be had from Juventus. Now, of course, again conceding to Real, conceding one to Real Madrid at home is never easy, and that, that was something that probably Juve didn't want to. But I, having said that, I think you know they would have been happy with maybe a one one uh, 
result here going back to the Bernabeu, which would have been pretty a pretty favorable position to be in when you consider the fact that they didn't have Medi Benatia, they didn't have Mir Lempianic, they had to kind of throw in uh, Rodrigo Bentancur, the young, talented midfielder from Uruguay, into the fire, if you will, into a big match. And he, he did pretty well, for, in my opinion. I think, you know, he's he's got the talent, he's got the ability, I think, to be a good player for Juve moving forward. But as this game went on, you really saw it start to slip away from him, and you really start to you started to see the class, um, the difference in class between the two teams show up again in the midfield. You know when you when you can throw out Tony Cruz, Casemiro, and Luka Modric, it's sometimes it's just at some point you got to kind of throw your hands up in the air and just say, "There's nothing we can do. These, these guys are <laughs> this is one of the best midfield trios in the world, and you can make a good point that they are the best in the tournament remaining." And that you kind of started started to see the game slip away from Juve um, positionally in the back. Barzagli and Chiellini they just looked one step too slow to, in catching up to the the tempo of play that Real Madrid were putting out. And of course, you saw Ronaldo's brilliant uh, bicycle kick goal, which really kind of silenced the home crowd. And that's where I think the game and that tie as a whole turned heavily in favor of Real Madrid because. Two away goals, not conceding anything to Juve, and they really didn't look like they were going to have any type of chance of getting a goal, in my opinion. And then when you throw in the fact that Dybala had the red card, an inexcusable red card, and really a disappointing performance from him, eventually that led to them being down 10 men. And then, of course, uh, Marcelo got the third and pretty much decisive goal, in my opinion. Again, barring a massive meltdown from Real Madrid in the second leg. Um, I feel it was a look. Over the past several years... Everyone knows that Juventus are a very strong team. They've they've beaten Real Madrid in this in this tournament. They've also lost to Real Madrid in this tournament in the final last year. They've played well against Barcelona and beat them last year, but then also lost to them in the final a couple of years ago. So it seems like the Spanish sides are Juventus's kryptonite in this tournament, and I, I don't think that's anything that should surprise anyone. I think Juventus are one of the team one of the top clubs in Europe. That goes without saying. But the difference between them and teams like Real Madrid, Barcelona is still a pretty decent margin, in my opinion. And I think that in the end, that really showed in this one. Yeah, definitely agreed. Uh, I'll just start off by saying Real Madrid are the most informed professional sports team in the world. Not even of just football, but in all professional sports. They are on an absolute tear. Arguably the best team in the world. Defending two-time champions with a bevy of superstar talent that Juventus and their fans uh, like myself can only dream of to put to ha- have a team put together like that. I mean, they were always going to be favored. They had a better team. Chiellini, Allegri, they were open about that too. They even said that, you know, Real Madrid's the favorite side. I don't think that's without any question they are. But, you know, they, again, I, I think you didn't expect it to be this game. And I think that's kind of what you're, what you're ton of heading heading towards right yeah exactly and i mean uh, going back to 2015 when juventus beat real madrid in the semi-final real madrid was a better team then and they were the defending champions as well but juventus dug in and beat them in a two-leg tie uh and they were not favored at all and they won there's been a difference in this juventus team over the last few years since something's been off since since the final in cardiff uh and this is evident you know the ronaldo goal when they scored 2-0 First goal, he scored early in the second half. I mean, I could go on on Allegri's decisions to put in his personnel. I will just say that Barzali is not a guy who should be playing these types of games anymore. And I can't believe they resigned him uh, to another year. He should be done and gone. If he was a player who thought of the team first, he would have retired. But 
I mean, that's another story. But anyways, regardless, his uh, Ronaldo's first goal, I could, nothing for Buffon to do. He can just slip through, and he's very elusive, and he can score. That's just how he is. The second goal, terrific bicycle kick. I mean, my jaw dropped when I saw it. I mean, you can't, you got to clap your hands as the Juventus fans did at that point. You just got to clap and say, what a terrific goal. One of the best goals we'll ever see at that kind of stage. But this brings me back to the 2016 round of 16 tie when Juventus was facing Bayern Munich. They were also down 2-0 at home at Juventus Stadium to Bayern, but they fought back and they drew 2-2. And they actually had a 2-0 lead in the second leg at the Alliance uh, Arena in Munich. Uh, and then drop the game in extra time. But that was a different Juve who had that same resolve. And th- that resolve, it's kind of, uh, you know, that the motto, fino alla fine, until the end. They are not showing that, and they haven't shown that for a while. It's like they've been folding under pressure like a cheap deck of cards, time in and time out against these big teams. Like you mentioned before, they beat Barcelona last year, but they also lost to Barcelona in the group stage this year, 3-0. They got pretty wrecked in that game at the camp now. This game at home got just dummied on their own turf. And I'm going to go into uh, into the reasons being, in my opinion, uh, are not necessarily the coach. Uh, although the decision to put Betancourt, although he didn't play bad, I would have preferred to have a Marquisio in there just for the experience and then have Rugani switch off with Barzali. Just because, uh, I mean, if Betancourt doesn't even play in the, in the Serie A and you're going to put him against... Luka Modric and Tony Kroos and Casemiro. I mean, I feel I feel for the kid, but this goes. This is a problem, a systemic problem with Juventus as an organization. They have the mentality, uh, you know, quote unquote, a winning mentality domestically. They've won it all in in Serie A, six straight Scudetti, three straight Coppa Italias, potentially four with the final coming up on May 9th. Uh, and domestically, they've got nothing else to prove. And historically, they've always been the team that would they they aimed for that domestic success. They're thinking too small, too damn small for a club of that stature. And I'm sick and tired of seeing this every year, year in and year out, where they treat the Champions League as if they can't go out there and win, and they treat it less than the, than the Serie A. And they have this weak mentality that they can't go out and perform like the big teams, like Bayern Munich and Barcelona and Real Madrid. These are the types of teams, the elite teams in a different class that go in year in and year out. They're always in the semifinals. And why can't Juventus be that way? And it starts from ownership. Andrea Agnelli, the president of Juventus, the grandson of Gianni Agnelli, the historical, famous, world-renowned entrepreneur, owner of Fiat, uh, and Juventus owner, who back in the day would get guys like Michel Platini and hire Trapattoni and keep these guys together, build a core to win because he wanted to win for his own personal gain. And Andrea Agnelli does not have that kind of same mentality. He doesn't want to win for some reason. He doesn't. He's not doing what it takes to win. I don't know what he's doing. He uh, honestly, he's tarnishing the legacy of his family by by his actions, not spending the money that's required. Look, Juventus isn't the richest team in the world, but they're revenues have been growing steadily year after year they made 550 million euros last year they're the ninth richest team in the world and they're only growing their commercial revenue has risen with their new logo change which was a great step forward but they still could be doing so much better in terms of commercialization with sponsorships never mind ticketing because that's an issue in Serie on its own although they're the only ones that are one of the few that have their own stadium so they do actually make a decent revenue stream on their on their ticketing but for merchandise, they could be doing better. Marketing, they could be doing better. They had that successful uh, U.S. tour last year 
which I was fortunate to uh, to have gone on and seen them. And uh, they've got to do that again. They've got new sponsorships in China, which is a good start, but they've got to do more because teams like Manchester United and Barcelona and Real Madrid have been doing this for 20, 30 years. They're very, very behind on that. Uh, they've got to work more in North America and to strike more deals with Adidas as well. Adidas loves to promote uh, Real Madrid and, and Manchester United over their platforms, but you never see a Juventus player, you never see a, a Paulo Dybala on their on their ads anywhere in public. Joe, you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think the difference between them and everything you're touching on in terms of the revenue streams and in the financial aspects of certain things is spot on and it's, it's great information, it's, it's a great uh, addition to this conversation and why Juve are not maybe thriving as much as you know, Juventini would want them to in at this stage of the tournament. But if you look at the entire team, right, and as you just you touched upon about the, the domestic success and the, the domestic um, goals they strive for each and every year, I don't think there's any argument that right now they are the kings of Italy. There are, you know, Milan and Inter, obviously, way step. But Italy doesn't course, matter. Oh, no, as listen, you know, Serie A is a dead course, league. Listen, listen, Joe, I'm, I'm going to get to that. What I, what I think the issue is and what I think the big problem is and I think it sounds silly, and I think it probably sounds cliche to say this, but it's the star power. It's the star power. Yes, Buffon is a big name. Yes, Chiellini, Gonzalo Higuain, Dybala. But when you look at the teams that are ahead of them in terms of, the, in this tournament, Bayern Munich, the Real Madrid, the Barcelonas, if you look top to bottom at some of these players, stacked to the brim at every position, and there's, most of these guys are really in their prime. If you look at a team... Like Barcelona, for instance, where Suarez, uh, Messi, b- even before last year, Neymar, Iniesta, Javi, Dani Alves. The list goes on and on with some of these players. They spent money on Dembele. These teams, they go out there and they don't get good players that will help them win. Not only domestically, they have that certain level of of quality on the European stage a lot of these teams and I think that's the difference when you look and again feel free to jump in if you if you think I'm I'm, I'm out of line here is that when they lost in that final in 2014-2015 Champions League to Barcelona they had the star power there's a reason why they got to that final there was a reason why they were some people still you know maybe again Barcelona were favored but there's a reason why many people still picked Perhaps Juventus to beat them in that game. You look at the midfield: Vidal, Pogba, still had Pirlo, Marquisio. You looked up front; they had names, they had star power, they had Carlos Tevez, they had these guys. You're absolutely right, but why did Vidal leave for Bayern Munich? Why did and, he, and, why did he not want to stay? And that's the million dollar question, and I think that's where they're really struggling. Is that you're going to see in the summer again the the Bernadeskis, the Brenton Cures. These guys are nice players; they're young players. But are they of that quality where you can say, man, in the Champions League, they are the players that we need to get over to get to push over the top? You look at the guys, and, and the people have been saying this for a while. The midfield, they got to reinforce the midfield, with the exception of Pjanic. Matuidi's a nice player, yes. Kadir is a nice, player, but they're kind of on that they're on that later side of the of their twenties, where eventually you need to start replenishing and getting guys who are world class um, quality in there. That's why everyone's calling for, and Juventus fans are calling for, Milinkovic Savic. This guy is being touted and linked to every single top team in Europe, but yet you feel as if, as you know, and I'm, I'm speaking on your behalf as a Juventus fan, that you feel like these are the guys they should be getting. These are the guys they really got to make a conscious effort to get, 
because their rivals are going to be getting them. And these are the types of players that ultimately make the difference at this stage. If they don't get these players and they get the guys who are good young players who, who do well domestically, but then when they get to Europe, they just don't quite have it. They're never going to be able to win a Champions League. And that's really been the ultimate goal throughout this entire reign of theirs of winning six straight domestic titles. Juventus fans, and we say it every year when, we, when they come into the season. Oh, yeah, they're the favorites to win the title. They're the favorites to win the title. But you ask any Juventus fan, and I guarantee you they say, the, the league, we've won the league. We, it's clear where we, we, we dominate Serie A. And the, obviously the trophies and the history they have supports that. But during this stretch, during this era where this is one of the best eras they've ever had as a team, they've missed out on Europe and their hat and there's it's the reasons are there as to why they've been doing that. And that goes into my next point, which is uh, starts with the management team. Beb Marotta and Paratici, the two sporting directors. Look, they've done a great job last uh, earlier in the decade when they got Pirlo and Vidal on cheap bargains and, and Pogba and Coman and Coman and Tevez on free de- uh, Tevez for very cheap and Coman and Pogba for nothing. Uh, they, Alves for treat for nothing. For, yes, exactly. And Kadira for nothing as well. They've done a good job that in that sense. But over the last few years, those signings have dried up and they haven't done a good enough job. And Beppe Marotin especially is a type of guy who is a cheapskate and does not manage his resources well. He's getting wingers like Bernadeschi and Douglas Costa. Why do you need both of them when the midfield was sorely lacking? And the fact that they didn't sign... They waited too long to sign uh, Quarantine Toliso, and he went to Bayern. That's the type of guy you need to stop uh, Modric and Kroos in the midfield. And they waited. He was there. He was available, and they waited too damn long, and they lost him. Same with Inzonzi on Sevilla. That's a guy, a physical guy, who could have disrupted that midfield today. They could have used him in Cardiff in in that final last year as well, but they did not address the issue. And here's, here's another thing about Juventus. It goes back to the money. Uh, they have money, but they don't want to spend it. Uh, and, you know, you just got to take a chance and, and spend that money because it's an investment. It's a long-term investment. Other teams like Bayern and uh, and Barcelona, they'll spend the money responsibly within their means. But Juventus, they fool themselves. They think they're not to that level, but they are. They make a lot more money than, than we think, but they don't choose to spend it. And, you know, even some would argue, okay, but what about uh, the uh, UEFA Fair Play? Uh, rules. That's fine. If you can only spend so much, then so be it. But spend it wisely. But spend it in areas where you where it. you need it. So this involves. This goes from everything, from top to bottom. How you put together a team. The first is scouting. I don't know how many scouts Juventus have, but it's not nearly enough. If I'm Juventus, I in this off season, besides getting players, I am hiring, poaching the best scouts in Europe from Dortmund. From Monaco, these guys, uh, these teams who, who can scout talent and get talent from uh, from Lazio and Sampdoria have done it really well as well. Get these guys who know how to seek out talent, hire the best, give them a blank check, and tell whatever you want, we'll give it to you, and you get them on your team. You hire a squad, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, up to 100 scouts, and you send them all around the world. You send them to these places that are producing talent. Italy doesn't produce talent. You don't have to have as many scouts in Italy because we're, we're just not developing any talent locally in the peninsula. But you go to Spain, you go to France, you go to Germany, you go to South America. You tell these guys, these agents, this summer, you're not taking the summer off. You're going to Spain. But you're not going to Ibiza either. You are going to 
Ben Almadera, because that's where Isco is from, near uh, Mayor, um, Ma- Malaga. You're going to Ultrera, which is in the province of Seville. That's where Danny Ceballos is from. These are some of the top prospects coming out of out of Spain who are doing a, a hell of a lot better. They're starting for their teams. Uh, Isco especially is, is caught on uh, and is, is starred. Ceballos has struggled to, uh, to find time at Real Madrid, but he's a, an exciting talent. So you go to these places in Spain. You go to Bavaria. You go to Germany. You go through there. You go all over France because France is producing so many young players from from Paris, from the French Riviera to Paris to Normandy. I want to see that whole country being scouted. And and you send a hundred guys to South America. You get bodyguards and you go to every favela, every single playground, every alleyway, every downtrodden poor area you can find in that whole continent. I want that whole continent, every square inch. Uh, like a CSI case investigated and, and looked at for talent because you need these guys. If you can't buy the talent, you get them before another team does and then you make sure you they stay. And how do you do that? Well, let's take a, a, a note out of TFC. So I, um, um, as you guys know, cover have covered TFC for the last three seasons. What they've been doing uh, for an MLS team, yeah, they may be MLS, but their facilities and what they do with their players is top of the line. Why do you think so many players want to come to Toronto FC over another another club in the MLS? Because they've got some of the best facilities in the world at their Kia Training Center up here in northern Toronto. Even though it's an MLS uh, facility, it's one of the best in the world on par with some of these big clubs in Europe. They've invested that kind of money. They invest in technology. They wear those special um, uh, meters on their chest to measure their, their heart rate and their speed. Uh, Italian teams don't do that. Italian teams don't even know what technology is. Uh, they're still thinking 30 years uh, behind. you got to get the best technology. You've got to get the best physiotherapist, uh, best doctors, best nutritionist, the best chef you can find. And you got to make these guys a part of your team just as big, uh, just as part of, of the coaching staff for the player uh, or the players themselves. And they will stay once you build that kind of culture and when you see, okay, the, this team really cares about me. They treat me well and they pay me well, which they can. You're not going to see Vidal going to Bayern Munich. You're not going to see Tevez having second thoughts and going back to Boca. You're not going to have Paul Pogba seduced by Man United where he's he's obviously regretting this decision. So from top to bottom, Juventus has to look at themselves in the mirror and say, what are we doing wrong and let's change the culture. And that starts before even firing Allegri or, or overhauling the roster. But it starts from the top to bottom. The whole organization, the culture has to change because on the world stage, Juventus is a joke. And I'm sick and tired as a fan of seeing this year in, year out underachieving because I don't give a damn about the Scudetto. I don't give a damn about Coppa Italia. Why are you so obsessed with winning these trophies? We have so many. We need to win in Europe. We need to build a global brand because that's how you make money and that's how you build a legacy, period. Spot on. And I, I think, you know, listen, the, for, the, the Juventus have done quite a bit and I think they're ahead of... You know, to say that they're not ahead of most Italian teams would be silly, in my opinion. Again, with everything they've with everything they've done, again, as you just mentioned, they own their own stadium. They're for the most part a self sufficient team, and one of the few in Italy, and one that is not only self sufficient but is able to to have that domestic success where they're thriving. But I think there's there's something missing there where they 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 need there's that missing element to them as a club, as a team, as a collective organization, whatever you want to call them, that's preventing them from getting into that the upper echelon of Real Madrid and Barcelona. Because even a team like Real Madrid, who, if you look at the table in La Liga, 
they're not thriving the way they would probably domestically. But you know what? For a team like Real Madrid, the most storied team in the Champions League, look what they're doing in the Champions League. You think they care about what's going on domestically? Yeah, you know what, Barcelona? Barcelona wins the title. So be it. Barcelona wins a Copa del Rey. So be it. If, if Real Madrid finds a way to win the Champions League, does you think anybody cares? Do you think anybody cares? Because at the end of the day, for these big clubs, even Manchester City, a team that's not even remotely close, and no offense to Manchester City, they're a great team, but they don't have the history that some of these clubs do. Their goal is, and I heard this on the radio, and I, and I thought it was, it was spot on, they have the league wrapped up. The moment Pep Guardiola arrived at Manchester City, what was the goal? What was the goal for him? What was the goal for the entire staff, the entire squad? Champions League glory. That's what they're going after. And it, like for them, they lost 3-0 as well today. They're facing an uphill battle. Now, again, you know, Liverpool are not, in my opinion, you know, a team that, you know, you, they can't come back against. But you get my point is that they, these teams are, it's when you, when you want to be placed in that position of being a powerhouse, a European powerhouse of, in the, of, of, along the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, those teams, there's something missing for Juventus to do that. And again, some of the things you touched on are very accurate. But I think, again, a lot of it does come on the pitch because they have a good manager. Allegri is well-respected. He's a very good coach, in my opinion. He's obviously, I mean, you don't just get, you don't just walk to two Champions League finals in three years. You would agree with me on that. But there's the difference between them when they get to that final. The difference in class is there. 4-1 to Real Madrid. And I think it was, what, 4-1 to Barcelona, 3-1 to Barcelona a couple years ago. So you're seeing the difference in quality there. And that's what Juventus really needs to strive to kind of close that gap. Again, they, they have a good coach. Like, I'm not one of those Allegri haters, and I don't think the team is that bad. Fantastic coach. And, and Fantastic Yeah, coach. and I don't think they played that bad in the game. But there's something in the culture that has to change. And unfortunately, despite having some good players and despite having a good coach, I think it's just got to change. You just got to blow it up and... Uh, and then, but that's that's for the off season, and we'll see how that goes. But there's a lot of questions remaining to be seen. And although, like they they're still not out of it. I mean, it, it's a it's a very very long shot. The only thing I can say is that in the next game they get Pjanic back uh, and uh, Benatia back, yeah. back, and then uh, and Sergio Ramos is suspended for Real Madrid, which but is without actually the, without without Dybala. Yeah, so, without Dybala. Well, he hasn't shown up anyway, so it wouldn't have made a yeah. difference. So uh, I don't I don't think that would have mattered anyways but uh Real Madrid is missing Sergio Ramos who is their captain and best defender by a long shot and uh their backup is they have a, a choice out of two rookies so that's the only silver lining I can see but the way they were going Buffon saying yeah you know it's it, it's almost certain that we're we're out and Allegri even conceding that I, I just didn't like the attitude they came out they didn't they weren't hung they they're they're already defeated and uh they still have another match to play that's not the way uh a fan like myself wants to see the team. I, I don't want to hear that in the post-match press conference. So, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, as long as they can play well and, and play dignified, that's uh, I'll take it. But uh, I digress. Uh, we could uh, we'll move on uh, now that we've got that out of the way to the other uh, Champions League match uh, that was today: Barcelona and Roma. Barcelona winning four-one against Roma in uh, in a game that you know didn't really reflect too much of the. Uh, I think it. It's it's a bit harsh on Roma that scoreline. They did did play well. They fought they fought hard, but a couple of own goals and and just the collapse and the def- mis miscommunications and uh, in defense 
cost them the game and essentially cost them the tie, really. Uh, unless they have a Herculean effort at the, at the Olympico next week, it's, it's safe to say that Roma has fought, but it looks like they're going to be out. Yeah, no, it, and again, it's unfortunate because I think, you know, again, you touched upon it. They really, the scoreline really wasn't indicative of the you know the performance I think in my opinion that Roma had I think you know overall they you know they were kind of unfortunate to have two own goals um, you know Jekyll was able to pull one back but again Suarez was able to you know tack on that fourth um, you know which kind of all but in my opinion puts this tie to uh, puts this tie to bed barring again a massive meltdown from Real uh, not Real Madrid Barcelona excuse me in the second leg in Rome. I think, you know, listen, I think the one thing that maybe Roma fans should take away, it was always going to be an uphill battle. It was always going to be a um, need a Herculean effort and a kind of a David Goliath type match for Roma to get past this point. So I don't think there's, there's going to be many Roma fans kind of, you know, up in arms about the performance. Because I think overall, really what they wanted to see is Roma play well and work hard and, and, and ultimately show that they are a team that can do something in this tournament. And I think they showed it, you know, I think they showed it overall. Again, they topped their group with um, Chelsea and Atletico Madrid. They're able to get to the, 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 the quarterfinals of the Champions League. So I, I think it says something about what Roma is doing. And again, I think a lot of credit should go to Eusebio Di Francesco. He's come under fire um, at certain points during the season for most of the things he's done domestically. Um, but I think in this game, again, they showed a lot of heart. They showed a lot of, um, they worked hard. They showed a lot of hustle. They came out to really play their game. And then just, again, a couple balls didn't bounce their way. They bounced into their own net. And then, of course, you look and you see yourself in a 4-1 hole um, going back home to Rome next week. So it's kind of tough to swallow. But I think ultimately Roma fans, I think if you ask the majority of them, you know, they would say, you know, we're, we're at the very least we can kind of keep our head held high knowing that we at least went in to play our game and we didn't we didn't let up. No, they, they definitely uh, shouldn't hold their, their heads. Uh, they should definitely hold their heads high uh, for that performance. Going into a very tough place to play where it's hard for anybody in world football to beat Barcelona on their own turf. Uh, so I think they should be proud of themselves and you never know. I mean, they have the right mentality, whereas Juventus have all but given up. I think Roma still are looking at it positively and that's a good thing to see. And hopefully that they can build upon this uh, this appearance in the quarterfinals and kind of move forward uh, with their club in the future. And it's good for them and good for their fans who have, uh, uh, especially with Eusebio Di, Franche- Di Francesco, who uh, uh, is a fighter. And unlike previous years with Spalletti or, or uh, Garcia, who have really folded in Europe in both Europa League and Champions League, it's refreshing to see Roma combative and, uh, and, and uh, really pesky and they're still hanging around so it's good for them and it's good for Serie A that we have another team even there uh, at all and speaking of Serie A there actually were some games uh, domestically in the peninsula uh, some makeup games most notably the Derby della Madonnina uh, between Inter Milan and uh, AC Milan uh, resulted in this nil-nil draw Inter fans and Inter, uh, Inter the club will be happy with this for Milan though uh, this was you know, almost like a final for them, and unfortunately, they just couldn't get the result. Matt, do you what do you think of this result? And was this the final blow to Milan's season? And uh, how is this draw going to affect them going forward with the, the remaining eight uh, games left? Yeah, I think what the, you know. First off, my reaction of the game was I think that you know, as a as a as a known Milan fan, I don't think it's uh, you know it's safe. I don't think I need to hide that um, for anyone who follows me on Twitter. I felt that Inter were the team probably more deserving of a victory again. They had, Icardi had his goal ruled um, 
overruled by VAR. It, it was the correct call. It was tight, but it was a correct call. Um, defensively, you know, Milan looked pretty pretty solid. Again, I think Rodriguez was shocking. He really didn't look that strong at all. And he was ultimately at fault, in my opinion, for that goal that was in Milan's favor. Um, luckily, ruled off size and kept this thing 0-0. But in the second half, you mean Mauro Icardi, for a guy who really only needs, and we, we, only, we stress this a, a ton, really only needs one chance to impact the game. And he's been carrying Inter the entire season. And it's pretty much the, one of the big main reasons why Inter are in the position they are in now is because of Icardi's scoring touch and his scoring form. When he does get the slightest of windows to, to strike, he fluffs two opportunities within probably six combined yards of each other. One coming in the dying moments of the match. Milan, I think they were lucky to, to come away with a point here. Inter fans, again, this is a result that, although they probably feel they should have probably had the victory, they'll take the point because they know that you know they, they have a good, a good um, advantage over Milan at this stage of the season. As for Milan, it's it was it was unfortunate. I don't think they 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 were disappointing in my opinion. I don't I, I was and I think maybe some of that could have been the fallout from um, the weekend ma- match against Juventus and Turin. I don't know how much that has affected them, but you started to see some of the players. Um, they weren't as sharp, with the exception of a few. Um, Bonaventura was was shocking. He gave away the ball too easily in his um, you know in his own half, and you know he was just a little bit off the mark with his passes that really slowed. Milan's counter approach down and really um, allowed Inter to reshape. So it, some players were just kind of not sharp in certain areas where they needed to be. And I think the result is fair, but I think if you ask me, Inter probably should have had the victory in this thing. But um, I don't think it's. And having said that, I don't think Milan are done in terms of uh, their their chase for Champions League. I think it's going to take quite a bit these next uh, you know over the next couple of weeks to get some to get you know make that happen. Um, and they're going to need some help, obviously, as they look up at some of the bigger clubs. But um, yeah, I feel, look, if you're a Milan fan, you knew it was going to be difficult. You knew overcoming this type of hole was going to be difficult. And I think the one thing that kind of hurt them, and again, you know, I, you know my thoughts go out to uh, the Vida Story's family and everyone in that because it was just a tragedy. It was difficult. That The fact that that game was canceled at that time, I think it really kind of hurt them a little bit in the sense that Milan were riding high. They were coming into this game with a lot of momentum and Inter were on the opposite end of that. And I think if they were, maybe perhaps if, they were, if, if Milan played that game as scheduled, maybe things could have gone the other way. But again, in, in that moment, football takes a backseat. Um, there was a lot more, more important things going on. So totally understandable as to why it was canceled. But I think overall, Milan, Milan have to, um, they just have to keep, they have to finish strong. And I, I think that's really what Milan fans want to see is this team finish strong and see where things stand um, on the final match day, you know, if again, if they can get the victories and take care of business that they need to take care of, maybe they get some help from some of the other clubs above and, and they drop points and all of a sudden they find themselves within striking distance with just a couple games left. So we'll see what happens, but I think it's still going to take quite a bit for Milan to do it. But again, stranger things have happened. Yeah, this this was actually a question posed by uh, by our own Patrick Stoll, uh, one of his questions uh, on Twitter. So we'll have our segment here on uh, on our question period. Quickly, Matt, what percentage would you give Milan to make the Champions League? I know you said it was uh, it was going to be a long shot, but if you were to give a percentage, what do you think it would be? Well, I think in this, you know, I, I think it, if you asked me before the game and after the game, I would have probably told you a little bit differently because I think that Milan really did, as you touched on earlier, needed to treat this game like a final. They really needed to get a victory, in my opinion, that would have made the gap between them and Inter 5, which is very manageable with how many games they have left. 
but since they were, you know, they again they played to a stalemate and it kind of, you know, stayed as it is. I, I feel their chances diminished because again, um, Inter feel they got a good result here. They feel that Inter are in good form. They've been able to recover and they have a lot of their players catching form at the right time. Gagliardini and Brozovic look um, look strong as well. So. I think, look, the chances of Milan making Europe are um, diminished after today. I think it goes without saying. When you have those head-to-head games, you really want to get maximum points. Um, right now, I'd probably put it at 25 to 30%. I think there's still an opportunity, but the way Inter are playing right now, I think um, Inter, they have a pretty decent schedule. They have some difficult matches coming up. Milan's is pretty um, pretty favorable, with the exception of maybe Napoli. Um, so there is an op- opportunity for Milan to possibly close the gap and pull this thing off. But again, I'll probably put it at twenty-five to thirty percent. I think it's just um, it's it's difficult to overcome that, especially when you're chasing these teams because a lot has to go right. Yeah, and I'm gonna put them at maybe I'll give them twenty percent, uh, a one a, yeah, a, so a one fifth chance, just because it's it's gonna be extremely tough. I think it's eight points that they're behind, and this really was the game to catch up uh, with Inter. But they also have to jump Lazio as well, um, in addition to just them for that so I, I I just don't see it happening I think Milan have had a good second half of the season but ultimately their their first half was their downfall and you know I mean they they can give it their all in the Coppa Italia final try and win a trophy but unfortunately I, I think it's going to be Europa League for them this year and Patrick's uh, also got another question for us um, I'll start with this one um, have we witnessed the end of Juventus's current window of success with the core they have what do they have to do to open another window to continue their dominance? So we, I touched on the, we touched on this earlier. Uh, I think this, I'm gonna say it should be the end because uh, they should be overhauling their team. But knowing Juventus, I don't think I think they're still gonna be sticking around. Uh, Buffon's future is, I mean, nobody knows really. I think he should retire. I think I think it's time. Uh, or if he wants to take a lesser role as a backup. He could, but I think uh, I think we have to move on uh, from from Buffon. Unfortunately, it sucks that he couldn't get the. I mean, well, it's it's not over, but I, it doesn't look like he's gonna advance, and it doesn't look like he'll have that uh, Champions League trophy that's been eluding him for all these years. But uh, I mean, the main core like Kadira is probably gonna go, Asamoah is probably gonna go, Licksteiner might go. These are some of the old guys. Uh, Licksteiner and Asamoah particularly uh, are some of the old guys from from earlier. Uh, they, they're the ones that were there from the beginning of the six-year run. Barzali should be gone, but he signed that contract. I don't know why. He should be should be out of there. But I think Dybala and Higuain could be staying. Uh, Dybala could be sold. At this point, if they want to sell him and get some cash and try to bring in some real stars, then I'd be all for it. But I'd say it should be the end of this core, but unlikely. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I think you know what it is too, is that because I think there's still that slight concern or, or hesitant hesitancy, if you will, um, with Juve to kind of pass the torch on to a, a next generation of players who are ready to take that torch forward. I think if you look at, you know, again, Chiellini's guy, he has a couple maybe good years left in him, but Barzagli, as you just mentioned, he's a guy that could probably hack it as a as a you know a, a rotation option domestically but when it comes to Europe he was just he's just way too slow he's not up to the same speed and he's really just not he shouldn't be playing as much as he is in this tournament so I, I think when you look start to look at some of the positions on this on this team you know Marquisio again for injuries have unfortunately played his career recently and he's really not the guy you can rely on as much to be um, a main con- uh, contributor in the mid- midfield 
I think when you start to look at the entire team, the core, I, I think they really do start to need to start laying a lot more emphasis in grooming this, these younger players into becoming those next guys. And what I mean by those next guys is those guys who can lead the next generation of Juventus. I think, look, Chesney's a good backup goalkeeper right now for for Buffon, and he would probably start for many teams around Europe. That goes without saying. So I think they're well. I think their life after Buffon, though, it probably will be difficult to not see him in net. I think they're they're okay there. I think defensively, you're getting uh, Caldara from Atalanta next season. Rugani needs to play a lot more. Rugani needs to give. You know, he needs to be ushered in, and he really needs to be given much more minutes and much more responsibility, in my opinion. I think the time is now for us to see who he truly is, and that's not only for Juventus, but that's also for the national team. Juventus really is, because they have so many guys who contribute to the national team, they are an important team to look at in terms of how they manage these younger players. Bernadeschi is another one. These guys need to be t- given that next... They need to be given that stage. They need to be given that responsibility. And they need, and it's on them also to take on that responsibility and run with it and show why they are wearing that Juventus shirt, why they are considered the talents they are and really do need to carry, carry Juventus into that next generation. Because let's face it, Buffon, Chiellini, Barzagli, Lichtensteiner, Marquisio, there's a lot of names that are aging. There's a lot of names that are getting older. And at some point, you got to say, what's life What's life after them going to be like? And that's where, I think, in my opinion, it starts this summer. Yeah, and uh, again, there's a lot of questions to be seen. And we don't really know where it's going to go at this point. But uh, it should be an interesting summer uh, for Juventus. So stay tuned for that. And we'll have all the transfer uh, coverage um, uh, this summer. We're, we've got a brand new team, a bigger team. And we're going to have all those transfer updates for you guys here at Italian Football Daily. Uh, our next question comes from uh, another contributor of ours, Luca Laporta. His question is, Lazio has a tough last eight games. Could you see them dropping to sixth or challenging into Roma for the Champions League spots? So uh, Lazio, compared to Milan and Inter, are uh, the only team that still have uh, some games in Europe left, With uh, and they'll be playing... Um, this week uh, against uh, Salzburg so we don't really know uh, they could it's it's about 50 50 at this point if they advance but if they do advance it'll be a lot tougher for them to concentrate on on Serie A domestically just because they do have a tougher schedule than the other two clubs uh, the Milan clubs respectively I including the uh, the, the Rome Derby uh, La Derby della Capitale uh, which will be probably the most animated and most anticipated in years that will be definitely a tough game for them I, I don't know I, I, Lazio they're, they're a good club and uh, they've had some lapses a couple times this season but overall have been consistent and uh, but I honestly do think that they they can challenge for Inter but with Inter uh, rather but I, I think at the end I think it's going to be too much for them I would really like to see them go on a run in the, in the Europa League though and kind of win a trophy and get in that way but I think ultimately that they will finish fifth, and then I think Inter, just because they now they're finally starting to play better, and they don't have any other games besides the ones they have in the season. Uh, I think they'll do just enough to get that fourth place, and Lazio unfortunately will finish fifth. But if I were them, I'd try my hardest to really get that Europa League, not only for the Champions League spot, but also for for a trophy as well. What do you think, Matt? 
No, I, I think you, you make you bring up a lot of good points. I think right now the way the table looks, I think it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me to see it finish that way. But I think there again is a little bit of a window for Lazio to kind of creep in there. Again, it's it's just two points separating them and fourth place Inter, and then you have that three that three point gap between them and Roma in third. So there is an opportunity for uh, Lazio again. It, it really depends on you know how these teams treat some of these some of these lighter opponents and I think that's really what's going to be the key I don't think I think Lazio will come to play in the bigger matches I think Inter will come to play in the bigger matches I think Roma again will do the same but uh, I mean we've seen it several times throughout this year and we could even say say that about Napoli who had Sassuolo and they were trailing Sassuolo 1-0 and they drew drew Sassuolo and then obviously Juventus had the victory on the weekend against Milan so now they have a four-point advantage so it just gives you a little bit of an idea where you know, if you're not careful and you don't treat these young, uh, these not younger, but excuse me, more provincial lower table, lower, uh, lower part of the table teams like you should, then you can wind up, you know, being on the outside looking in at what your objectives are. So I think, you know, a team like Lazio, again, the most the highest scoring team in Serie A, they can put goals in by the bunch. And I think ultimately, based on what I've seen from them against some of those lighter opponents, I think they'll they'll kind of finish more or less where they are right now. I think there is an opportunity to finish fourth. But again, if you look at the teams below them, like Milan and Samp, uh, Milan are six points behind them. Samp are 10. So um, the the way the table shapes up right now, this is probably realistically what it should and could look like. But again, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how that 3, 4, and 5 looks at the end of the year because I think they're, again, a couple games here and there, a couple of, you know, dropped points, a couple big victories can really turn uh, turn this um, this race for for the for that fourth spot, that third spot, um, and make it one of the best that we've seen in recent years. Yeah, it'll definitely be a um, a race to the finish, and uh, we're all interested to see what what goes on there. But it'll definitely be a spectacle for uh, the neutral and for fans of those three clubs, respectively. And our final question comes from our, our Twitter, one of our Twitter followers uh, at. Yin's go doing go doing yeah um yeah i, I i'm familiar with the the, ver- <laughs> the verbiage um he asks and thank you uh Yins, for your question is andrea belotti back uh so andrea belotti had a hat trick today uh in a 4-1 win over crotone uh he was as we know one of the top uh, upcoming strikers in italian football had a great season last year but this year he struggled with injuries and poor form um, the hat trick, today's hat trick definitely helps his confidence. But is he back? I mean, I think it's it's a little late in the season to say so, but this is definitely going to be a boost for him. I like to see him score more frequently, like he did last year before, saying that um, he's officially back. Uh, but I think he could. He, I think at this point of the season, he just has to play consistently, um, score a goal when he can, and just play well. Just be the guy that he was last year. And I think that'll definitely give him the confidence to, uh, uh, to, to explode next year, uh, barring any injuries. So I think he's, he's on the right path to coming back, but uh, not just yet. And what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I think, you know, look, listen, he's had a a difficult season. Um, You know, he was rumored to join, you know, go to Milan and some of the other clubs in the summer on a big a big transfer that obviously never came about as those teams didn't want to pay the 100 million euro release clause that Urbano Cairo um, included in his latest contract. So I think it was a difficult season. It's been a difficult season for Belotti. Again, injuries, um, some inconsistencies, even when he has played. Um, having said that, I think, look, 
for a guy like Belotti, I think he's still young. He's he. I'm, by no means am I giving up on him. I think a, a, a hat trick like this, though it is against Crotone, a team that's you know likely to, get, to be relegated, um, barring you know again if they can get, if they can manage another escape like they did last year. I think it's you have to kind of take that into account as well as that you know okay look who he scored against but I think right now the biggest focus for Belotti is this over these next you know this next month month and a half if you will is to just get back into form and the season strong and again take that into next season regardless of where he plays my opinion I think he stays at Torino I think he should stay at Torino for another year try and rebuild his stock try and get back into that you know maybe that 20 goal range and then at that point um you know he can kind of explore his options. Urbano can uh, can kind of survey the market and see where you know, maybe he can sell him and you know, get that profit back where he lost it last summer by not selling him and again go from there. But I think Belotti uh, is definitely one to keep an eye on over these next several several weeks, several match days, as I think you know we could, the fallout from a, a hat-trick performance like this could bode well for him in uh, end of this, ending the season strong. Yeah, and let's hope that even for the future of our national team that uh, that he bounces back. Uh, and again, he's a Absolutely. young guy. Lord knows we need it, right? <laughs> yeah, we could, yeah we could we need a lot. But uh, he's a young guy, and let's let's hope that he he can bounce back next year uh, and finish the season strong. Uh, so thanks so much for your questions. As always, uh, for our podcast, we'll be tweeting out when we'll be doing it, and uh, we love your questions. Keep them coming. Uh, here on our podcast and uh, that pretty much wraps up this show today um, thanks for joining me Matt I just want to say one through a quick thing before we before we finish up there give us some feedback guys if you if there's anything you want us to touch upon is there anything you would like us to kind of include in our podcast as we do them feel free to tweet at me feel free to tweet at Joe um, Italian Football Daily you guys can send us direct messages anything that you feel that we can work on to improve this and to make this a more enjoyable experience for you and for us we're definitely open to hearing about that. If you guys haven't subscribed and you're um, an Apple user, make sure you guys do so on iTunes. Leave us a review, rating, everything and all that stuff that we're working on for our Android users and getting on SoundCloud and platforms that are more um, friendly for you guys so you guys can listen to the podcast as well. But again, with our, as Joe just touched on, as we tweet the article, um, the podcast out, we do our best to make sure that our Android uh, listeners are uh, being taken care of so we do put that link there as well so if there's anything else we could work on with this podcast feel free to reach out and uh, we'll do our best to accommodate yeah definitely reach out give us feedback go on subscribe rate the podcast uh, and once again thank you for for all your support on our on the website and and for listening to us on the italian football daily podcast uh for matt santangelo uh at matt underscore santangelo uh, on twitter and for myself at joe antonio c uh, and of course, our Italian Football Daily Twitter handle at ItalianFD. Uh, I'm Joe Seraco signing off. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time. Ciao for now.